MSW Media. Thanks to Real Paper for supporting Daily Beans. In order to make their products, Real Paper does not cut down any new trees. Sign up for a subscription and get 30% off your first order at realpaper, R-E-E-L, paper.com slash dailybeans, or use code dailybeans at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, January 13th, 2022. Today, big movement in the case against Matt Gates. The January 6th Select Committee seeks information from Kevin McCarthy. A federal judge allows the suit against Prince Andrew in the Epstein case to go forward. And the Ohio Supreme Court has struck down Ohio's unconstitutional gerrymandered redistricting maps. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, AG, it feels like, it genuinely feels like we have two good news blocks today. You know what I mean? Like the front of the episode and the end of the episode. And then a brilliant, of course, interview as you always do. But we've got some good news at the top of the hour. I'm so excited. We do. We do. And that interview, by the way, uh, coming up a little bit later is with president and co-founder of Free Speech for the People. So it's another good news block. That's John Boniface. Nice. Who has filed a legal challenge. He's filed it with the North Carolina State Board of Elections to prevent Madison Cawthorn from being allowed on the ballot in November because of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So I'm going to be talking with him a little bit later. I saw I saw a tweet that said that was the find out clause of the Constitution, otherwise known as the fuck around and find out clause. (laughs) And, you know, I had John on the show a while back to discuss the 14th Amendment. He's been on this since the beginning and he has now filed. And this, as far as we know, is the first legal challenge to seating a current member of Congress or allowing them to be on the ballot or reseating them in Congress based on the fact that you aren't allowed to do that if you tried to overthrow Congress, the government. So. We will uh, talk to him. And yeah, we do have really good news and I kind of don't want to wait. So is it cool if we... Let's do it. All Let's right. hit the hot notes. Hot notes. <gasps> I did it. I said it. You did it. I hope that was okay. <laughs> you did it. She did it. Uh, okay. Here's the top story today. It's that Matt Gates's ex-girlfriend, and this isn't the Nestor possible mother-sister. This is just another ex-girlfriend he's in a polyamorous relationship with, was seen entering the courthouse where the federal grand jury is seated and impaneled, seemingly to testify to that grand jury, most likely against Matt Gates. Now, for months, prosecutors have been working on an immunity deal with her to get her to flip and cooperate in their investigation into Gates' sex trafficking a minor. Note here, I know it's rape, but yes. just using the legal terms. Now, we know that Matt and his ex-girlfriend, whose name is being withheld, placed a three-way call to the minor victim of Gates to intimidate her not to tell the authorities about their relationship. And the call was recorded. Now, it appears that with her testimony, prosecutors may have threatened her with obstruction of justice or witness intimidation, witness tampering. And so we're going to charge you with this unless you agree to testify against Matt for the same thing. And if they did, in fact, get her testimony on an immunity deal that she and Gates obstructed justice and intimidated a witness, that would be pretty much a slam dunk for prosecutors, at least in the obstruction part of this case. Further, if coordinating her cooperation was the thing that's been holding up this investigation, 
then this might be the last bit of evidence prosecutors need before they issue their indictments. Keep a close eye on Maddie's behavior over the next few days, because I'd put beans on the fact that he's about to be informed of a multi-count indictment for sex trafficking a minor, transporting a minor for sex, obstruction of justice or witness intimidation or both, along with any other crimes that were fleshed out by the proffer from Joel Greenberg, including bribery, ID theft, mail fraud, computer fraud, wire fraud, campaign finance violations. There's any number of crimes here. And just for funsies, I'm going to predict, I'm going to put beans on this, that there will be more than 30 counts against Matt and that he will be facing at least a 10-year mandatory minimum prison sentence. Now, as we know, Greenberg's sentencing is set for March. Well, I like your beans and I hope you're right. Me too. I do hope you're right. I cannot wait to see what happens with this. All it's gonna, And I don't think we're going to have to wait that long to find out about indictments, which is really nice. Now, this next up, the January 6th Select Committee has requested House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's testimony about his interactions with the former guy as a mob swarmed the Capitol. The request follows months of speculation about when the panel would seek the California Republicans' cooperation with their probe. So the committee has raised questions about McCarthy's conversation with Donald on January 6th, which was fleshed out during the then-president's impeachment trial last February. I think some of us will remember this. Now, according to Rep. Jamie herrera Butler, McCarthy described the case as tense and that Trump initially suggested it wasn't his supporters storming the Capitol. When McCarthy told him it was, Trump replied, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. And that's per Herrera Butler's account of McCarthy's summary of the call. So <laughs> that's already been set into public domain. Like we know this happened. So it would be really interesting to know what else McCarthy knew before it all happened. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff they're asking for McCarthy. They're like, what about the stuff that happened after January 6th? Uh, you went down to Mar-a-Lago. What was that about? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Did you intimidate any witnesses? I mean, there's quite a few things in this letter. I recommend that you read it. But yeah, that phone call, I guess the people are more upset about the election than you are. That's when McCarthy actually said, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Which is brilliant. (laughs) Anger. All right. Another great news story. The Ohio Supreme Court struck down GOP drawn state and House Senate maps as unconstitutional gerrymandering in a 4-3 decision Wednesday, sending the Ohio Redistricting Commission back to the drawing board. Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor was the key vote, breaking with her party to rule against the maps. O'Connor, a Republican, joined the court's three Democratic justices and the three GOP justices dissented. The new plan shall be adopted within 10 days, and the Ohio Supreme Court retains jurisdiction for a review of the plan. And that's according to the court filing. You got 10 days to redraw your shitty shit and get it back to us. <laughs> now, the seven-member commission faces a time crunch to craft new maps because February 2nd is the current deadline to file paperwork to run for Ohio legislature. State lawmakers could change that filing date without moving the May 3rd primary. Advocates of fair maps hailed the decision as a resounding victory for Ohio voters who overwhelmingly approved changes to the state's constitution to limit partisan line drawing. Early September 16th, Republicans in the Ohio Redistricting Commission approved maps that would allow the GOP to retain its veto-proof majority in the state legislature over the objections of the commission's two Democrats. According to Senate President Matt Huffman, Republican from Lima, the maps would give Republicans a 62 to 37 advantage in the House and a 23 to 10 advantage in the Senate. Republicans justified their maps by saying voters preferred GOP candidates. Between 54 and 81 percent of the time. Those figures are the average percentages of votes GOP candidates received in recent statewide elections. 
and the percent of statewide races won by Republicans over the past decade, respectively. In the end, the Ohio Supreme Court sided with those who found flaws in the maps. The Supreme Court is also reviewing the GOP-drawn congressional map, which was challenged by two lawsuits. A ruling on that map is still pending. Earlier in the day, U.S. District Court Judge John Adams placed a federal case challenging state and congressional maps on hold for 60 days while the Ohio Supreme Court reviews several pending lawsuits. And it should be stated that one of the Ohio Supreme Court judges that did side for the maps to uh, be fixed is a Republican. She sided with other liberal judges in this. Mm-hmm. So that is... It's, That's Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. Yeah, yeah something, to, something to look at. Oh, Prince Andrew... This guy is literally probably hiding in his mother's basement right now. A federal judge in New York on Wednesday denied a motion to dismiss a lawsuit against Prince Andrew filed by Virginia Jufree, a woman who alleges she was sexually trafficked to the royal when she was underage. Ms. Jufree's complaint is neither unintelligible, nor vague, nor ambiguous. That's what the judge, Lewis Kaplan, wrote in the ruling. Judge Kaplan went on to say it alleges discrete incidents of sexual abuse, in particular circumstances at three identifiable locations. It identifies to whom it attributes that sexual abuse. Now, Jufri alleged in the lawsuit that the late financier, Jeffrey Epstein, trafficked her and forced her to have sex with his friends, including the prince, and that Andrew was aware she was underage. She was 17 at the time in the U.S. She alleges the prince sexually abused her at Epstein's private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands, at his mansion in Manhattan, and at his former girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell's home in London. Now, Prince Andrew has denied the allegations and had moved to dismiss the suit. CNN has reached out to his attorneys for further comment. The ruling sets up a dramatic series of legal proceedings for Queen Elizabeth II's third child that could have major ramifications for Buckingham Palace. The long-running allegations against Andrew, who's 61, have already dramatically tarnished his public standing. And he stepped back from the royal duties in late 2019. Now, Andrew has until July 14th to potentially answer questions about the case under oath following a ruling made by Kaplan last year. If the case is not settled, Prince Andrew could face a trial date between September and December of 2022. That is not that far away. Wow. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's already stepped down a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago. And it's just this is really, really damaging to the royals and and as it should be, or as it should be. So Godspeed to Virginia Dufresne. All right, we'll be right back with John Bonifaz to discuss his legal challenge on behalf of North Carolina voters to keep Madison Cawthorn, noted tree puncher, off the ballot in 2022. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. Did you know every day tens of thousands of trees are cut down to make products that are flushed down the toilet or thrown away into overflowing landfills? And you know how important our forests are. They remove about a quarter of the carbon humans emit into the atmosphere. So they are a major contributor to the fight against climate change. And real paper can make a difference. The use of real paper reduces the deforestation and waste generated by single-use plastics. Their toilet paper and paper towels are entirely plastic-free, and made from non-virgin tree fibers, so no trees are cut down for them to be manufactured. Real developed a premium, sustainable alternative that preserves our planet's health without sacrificing quality. I got mine. It's so soft. It's so comfortable. It works so well. And I love the sustainability. And it's a small but vital change that we can make. More than 250,000 pieces of single-use plastic have already been eliminated with real paper. Clean sanitation programs around the world are also funded with every purchase. 
And my favorite thing about real paper products is they're a sustainable option and I'm helping our planet instead of decimating it. Purchasing real paper on their website is simple. It's hassle-free. You can either do it as a subscription or a one-time purchase, and all orders are conveniently delivered to you in a 100% recyclable plastic-free package. And if you head to realpaper.com slash dailybeans now and sign up for a subscription using our code dailybeans, all one word at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order. That's realpaper, R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans, all one word at checkout to get 30% off your first order. Real paper is toilet paper and paper towels that change lives. And today's show is also brought to you by Allform, crafting high quality customizable furniture for your home. Allform creates premium furniture tailored to meet your specs and then ships it to your doorstep free of charge super fast. You can design your own luxury furniture using premium materials with Allform for a fraction of the price. Uh, I chose a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather, and I customized it with walnut legs to match my decor and a chaise lounge at the end. It's comfortable, it's stylish, it looks amazing, and all form ships fast. It arrives in the mail in just five to seven days, and it's easy to assemble with no tools needed. You can choose from armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, and you can start small and add on, too, if your family grows or you move to a bigger house. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. It's totally risk-free. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up for you for free and give you a full refund. And they also have a forever warranty, by the way, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. I'm joined today by the co-founder and president of Free Speech for People, who has filed a legal challenge before the North Carolina State Board of Elections to keep Madison Cawthorn off of the ballot in 2022. Please welcome John Boniface. Hi, John. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is fascinating. We've had you on the program before to discuss specifically the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which says if you cooed, you can't you know, be a member of Congress. And so tell us a little bit about this challenge that you filed in North Carolina. Yes. So as you rightly say, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment makes clear that if you've taken an oath of office to defend and protect the Constitution, and then you turn around and engage in insurrection, you cannot appear on any ballot for future public office. You cannot hold a future office again. That's very clear language from Section 3. It's what the framers intended of the 14th Amendment to deal with Confederates after the Civil War. And that was, of course, the first insurrection in our nation's history. This is now the second, January 6, 2021 of last year. And these insurrectionists also need to be held accountable. So what we've done in concert with a prominent local council team in North Carolina with two former state Supreme Court justices of the North Carolina Supreme Court and a firm in North Carolina, Wallace and Norton, that specializes in election law, is we filed on behalf of 11 voters, courageous voters in the 13th Congressional District in North Carolina, where Madison Cawthorn has declared his candidacy, that he is disqualified from appearing on the ballot in 2022 under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment because of his role in helping to plan uh, the insurrection. The standard under North Carolina law is reasonable suspicion. If a voter has reasonable suspicion that a candidate is not eligible, not qualified to be on the ballot, they may file such a challenge. And, and the evidence we have overwhelmingly demonstrates that the, the voters have reasonable suspicion that he, in fact, is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating because we had long wondered how you would enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. 
And that was going to be my next question. The standard. Does Madison Cawthorn have to be criminally convicted beyond a reasonable doubt of seditious conspiracy or insurrection? Or now you're saying it's simply reasonable suspicion is the standard. And can you talk a little bit about reasonable suspicion? Because it seems clear to me that there is more than enough, as you said, evidence to have reasonable suspicion that he participated in an insurrection or plot to overthrow the government in a coup. Yeah. And so that's very different, a very different standard from what, you know, a lot of folks might have been thinking that it has to rise to the level of a criminal, you know, conspiracy or, or sedition or insurrection beyond a reasonable doubt and held up in court and maintained upon appeal. That's not the standard here. Right. And in fact, we we need to look both at what the text of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says, as well as what state law in North Carolina requires around these challenges. So the text of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't have anything in there about requiring a criminal conviction first or a congressional resolution first. It says very directly that if you take an oath of office and then engage in insurrection, you're prohibited from ever holding public office again. Then we move to state law. The reasonable suspicion standard is what gets the voters in the door to be able to file this challenge. But the state board of elections will have to hear the evidence and will have to then make a determination. Is it accurate that he engaged in insurrection? And if he did, they need to disqualify him from the ballot. So it's not necessarily the case that uh, you know the evidence gathering stops at the filing of the challenge. It's just the starting point. But we actually have the right, Allison, to bring Madison Cawthorn in under oath, put him in a deposition, and to make him answer questions under oath about his role in the insurrection. We have the right to do discovery, to seek documents, and we intend to pursue all of that. And then the State Board of Elections itself has the right to bring Cawthorn in and, and put him on the stand uh, and have him questioned under oath. Now, what is, you say, the standard for getting your foot in the door to file the complaint is reasonable suspicion. What is the standard used by the North Carolina Board of Elections? And what is their current makeup right now? Is it Republican, Democratic, nonpartisan? What is What does the North Carolina State Board of Elections look like? Would they look favorably upon something like this or, or would they be pushing it back? Well, it's a, it's a nonpartisan entity, of course, but it, it does have a majority number of Democratic members. The first process here is going to be in the district itself. There will be a panel of election officials selected by the State Board of Elections to engage in the first hearing on this matter. And then after that, there's an opportunity to appeal to the State Board of Elections in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, and then into the courts, the North Carolina courts um, by either side. You know, I think that I think the evidence that we intend to bring forward will show that Madison Cawthorn uh, is disqualified from appearing on the ballot. But it will be up to these election officials to make ultimately that determination. And they need to look at the constitutional history here. They need to look at the text of the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and they need to look at the actions that Madison Cawthorn took leading up to the day of the insurrection and after in terms of making that determination whether he engaged in insurrection. Okay, so that's that's the path that this would take. You bring this to a district appointed group. If they say, no, he, we don't see that he participated in insurrection, we don't see enough evidence, you would appeal 
to then the North Carolina State Board of Elections, right. the people who put that commission together. Right. They would then consider this. And then if they said, no, we don't see it, then you can appeal to the to the courts in North yes. Carolina. Correct. I see. OK. And interestingly, when we look at the state courts of, of North Carolina, they also seem to be a reasonable group. Right. I mean, you know, there, there's an appellate court, of course, and then there's a state Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a division of of people. There's an elected body. The, the judges in North Carolina are elected, but there are four Democrats, three Republicans on the state Supreme Court. And, you know, we're, we're going to appeal to people across the political spectrum. I, I want to be clear on this. This is a nonpartisan defense yeah. of this critical provision of our Constitution. And one of our co-counsel, Robert F. Orr, is a former Republican justice of the state Supreme Court. Um, and he's been very uh, vocal and very engaged uh, in this. And, and we're proud to have his involvement. We're proud to have Jim Exum, James Exum Jr., who's a former chief justice of the state Supreme Court, as well as John Wallace uh, and his firm in North Carolina, specializing in election law. But we are we are presenting this as a nonpartisan defense. This isn't really uh, about what party you're uh, part of. It's what does the Constitution say and how do we defend our republic uh, when we have a, a person who engaged in insurrection, having first taken an oath of office to defend the Constitution, try to seek to hold public office again. Right, because you're not trying to get Republicans off the ballot. You're trying to get an insurrectionist off the Correct. ballot and been replaced with a Republican who didn't try to overthrow well, the government. That, that's actually that, that's actually worth highlighting, right? This district is overwhelmingly Republican. Yeah. So no one should suspect that if Madison Cawthorn is disqualified, that the voters of that district won't go ahead and over, you know, the majority of them vote for another Republican to represent them in Congress. So this isn't even about, you know, changing the makeup of, that district. This is really about defending Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, absolutely. And it was written for a reason, it was written for very good reasons. And it, it has been utilized in the past effectively. And finally, one last question for you. Is there a scenario we went through the appeals process and, and the steps that, that might have to happen in this in this particular legal challenge? But is there a scenario where this could end up in federal court? Well, that's really uh, for, for Madison Cawthorn to answer. As of now, we have not seen any papers submitted to the State Board of Elections notifying them that uh, they are now representing Madison Cawthorn. So we don't have any record yet that he has gotten counsel. But, you know, if he were to lose at the state Supreme Court, let's just say, I would imagine he would try potentially to get the U.S. Supreme Court to hear this. We don't see any viable basis to move this proceeding into federal court prior to that, but that's not going to, you know, that, that's not going to end the, the the question because, of course, he may try, uh, depending on, on on what their plan of action is. But at the end of the day, state law governs here, and, and in terms of these challenges, as well as Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, and the, and the State Board of Elections has clear authority to disqualify someone from the ballot who doesn't meet one of the constitutional qualifications. Just taking this outside of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, if somebody's running for president who's 20 years old, they are disqualified. 35 years of age is what the age requirement is under the Constitution. And any election official would know if somebody's seeking to run 
at, at that age that they couldn't put that person on the ballot. We're making the same kind of argument here. There's clear language in the Constitution that disqualifies an insurrectionist who's previously taken oath of office, and they ought to, as a result, apply that to Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, and, and I imagine if he did try to take this out of the state courts and into the federal courts, it would just be a delay tactic because everyone knows states run their own elections. And- Correct including this very conservative Supreme Court. They, you know, if the, if they're going to be consistent, would, would rule in favor of having North Carolina solve their own election issues. Well, and the irony here is that Madison Cawthorn has gone on television, CNN, in an interview, and when asked directly, well, why did he not object to the North Carolina vote in the 2020 cycle? He said that our state board of elections is second to none. You know, uh, we we have the best run elections uh, in the country. So if he has such faith in the state board of elections, then why would he move it out of the state board's authority and try to get it into federal court? It would be turning it out to on his head, his state states rights arguments that he's tried to make here to say somehow that federal court should stop this. Well, he punches trees. No one's ever accused him of being a reasonable person. That's so. true. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. But I encourage everyone to follow you at John Bonifaz, B-O-N-I-F-A-Z on Twitter to keep up with this legal challenge and this case regarding the very important and long-standing rule of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in this particular case. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news or confessions, corrections, awesome photos, idioms, uh, why Louis Gohmert is dumb, Monda Greens, Hallelujah Chorus, Shared Swears, Find the Cat, Happy Places, What the Mud, whatever you want to send in, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. So now we're in our second good news block of the day. I love it. I love it. First up here from Heather, pronouns they and them, dear queens of the beans, greetings from cold and wet Turf Island, aka the UK. If anyone needs an explanation of what T-E-R-F is, it's trans-exclusive radical feminists. And unfortunately, there is a fucking slew of them in the UK. Led by J.K. Rowling. Yeah. I love the show. You are all gloriously snarky and silly friends who live in my phone by this point. You help (laughs) keep me vaguely sane in this ridiculous world. Quick correction. At the start of today's episode, 11th January, misery my own feet. (laughs) You may... (laughs) You mentioned the awesome new Maya Angelou coin and said that if she isn't the first woman, she's definitely the first black person. She's definitely not the first black person. There have been three U.S. coins before this with black people. 2009, 2017, 2021. Duke Ellington, Frederick Douglass, and the Tuskegee Airmen, respectively. You were correct about her not being the first woman. Susan B. Anthony and Sacagawea beat her to that one. So whilst awesome, she's not a first. I think she's the first black woman, though. Yeah. I think you're right on that. I think that's correct. I have no pets, sadly, but please enjoy this picture of a red squirrel nibbling the last of the windfall apples. (laughs) 
that I took from my parents' kitchen window on New Year's Day when I got to visit them for the first time since the pandemic began. Much love to you all. Keep kicking butt and taking names. I love these red squirrels. They have the pointy ears. Oh my God, they're so cute. Oh, lovely. Heather, thank you so much for the loving correction. We appreciate it. All right, this is from Matthew. Pronounce he, him. This is the coin correction as well. Hi, Daily Beans. Really cool news yesterday about my Angelou Quarter. This is one of the cool things about your podcast. Where else would I have learned this? I believe you are correct that she is the first black woman to be on such a quarter, but she's definitely not the first woman. Helen Keller was on the Alabama State Quarter in 2003. If you really wanted to stretch it, the Commonwealth statue was on the Pennsylvania State Quarter before that in 1999. So that depicts a woman. It's more of a statue, though. Thanks for the great podcast every day. Attached is a pet tax photo of my cat, who is wonderful, but whose name is also the answer to some low-stakes security questions, so I will not be sharing. Uh, <laughs> she, she's helping send letters to remind people to vote. Let's get ready to do that again. Oh, look. Oh, what a cute. Thank you, Matthew, for writing the letters, though, and this cat is adorable. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be postcard and lettering it up very, very mm. soon. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I see you have that lap desk in the background. That's like a saving thing. I I have one and it's absolutely amazing. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm going to go with the next two here from Kim. No pronouns given. New listener. I'm already hooked. Well, thank you, Kim. Have you seen Don't Look Up? It resembles our current zeitgeist and it's a funny slash not funny take on it. Just brilliant. Correction. Include Wisconsin in sending fake electors. Maddo talked about it a few times. Yeah, there's actually seven states now. Have you have you seen Don't Look Up? I have, and it's great. I loved it. I watched it as well. And Jonah Hill, oh my God, and Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> make me laugh so hard in this movie. It, it was really well done, I, I believe. Obviously, if you like satirical movies about horrifying uh, subjects in the United States, uh, mainly climate change, but you should definitely watch it. I think my favorite part, one of my favorite things, uh, I mean, outside of the ending, you know, where he said, you know, we really did have everything. Yeah. Is when he's getting on the train with Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Leo is getting on the train with Jennifer Lawrence and they're sending him off to media training before they go on this, you know, the talk show circuit. And he's like, just remember, no math. And as the door is closed, he goes, no math. But it's all math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to me. <laughs> Next up from Sarah, pronouns she and her. Regarding misgendering pets, attached is a photo of my turtles I've had since I was eight years old. I'm 36 now. Holy shit. Fred in the foreground, Pokey in the back. They, Pokey in the back. I'm sorry. Oh my God, that's hilarious. They're estimated to be around my same age and may live to be 80. I'm certain I didn't know this at eight years old, but here we are. Anyway, when I was 12, Fred started laying eggs. Oh. <laughs> Much to everyone's surprise. She's still Fred, though. Love it. Doesn't seem to mind. She lays two leathery eggs around every other year now. Turns out Pokey is also a most likely female, according to the vet, but doesn't bother with ovulation. They're darling little dudettes, aren't they? They really are cute. Oh, I had two turtles when I was eight, and their names were Laverne and Shirley. And they of were course they not... Were. The kinds of turtles that live to be 80. So they are gone. But this is so great. Oh, sweet. Thank you so much for that. This one's from Wally. No pronouns given. Been listening to you for quite a long time. You're always entertaining and on point with your commentary. My dogs are Stella and Lucy. Stella is a puggle, which is a pug beagle mix. And Lucy is a palmchi, which is a Pomeranian chihuahua. <gasps> Stella is the sweetest dog ever. And Lucy is, well, let's just say she's part asshole. It's the chihuahua part. 
Look at these babies. They're so cute. And what's so strange is this photo looks like a painting, the first photo, because they're just slightly moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. A little bit, a little bit out of focus. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Oh my God. Look at the last picture. I know. Eh. <laughs> that is That's definitely a chihuahua Oh, thank you for these what gorgeous babies. Oh, so oh, adorable. Close us out with this, my dear. I will. From Jack, pronouns he and him. Hello. Thank you so much for this show. It's part of my daily ritual. And I couldn't imagine my morning without it. Some good news. Recently, my wife and I hit a major milestone in our health. We've lost a combined 300 pounds. Wow, Jack, congratulations. And to your wife. She's lost two. He's lost 298. No, I'm kidding. A little history. That would be my scenario, by the way. Little history. We both struggled with our weight our entire adult lives. Each year we would gain weight and we would fail at dieting. We got to the point where our health was seriously impacted. We each had a CPAP machine. I had type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, borderline hypertension. After chaperoning a band trip to Tampa in December 2019, we decided we had to make a change. A couple of friends had recently had bariatric surgery with a lot of success. We had tried to explore that option for us, but the insurance through my company specifically did not cover weight management. Don't even get me started on that bullshit. <laughs> that's, he, that's what he says. <laughs> yeah, me too. We took our Uncle Joe Stimmy money, our Uncle Joe Stimmy money, our tax refunds from last year, and our healthcare savings plan and paid for my wife's surgery. And we were able to finance mine. AG, we took your advice and decided to invest in our health and our happiness now and not just delaying for the future. The surgery was a success for both of us. The weight started coming off and we were able to get back to the gym and really see results. We're managing our eating and making great gains in our health. We're both off all our medications and have been given up our CPAP machines. My A1C levels are back to the higher end of normal and my cholesterol is back down to normal levels as well. We feel so good. We feel we have our lives back and we're unstoppable. I took jogging up a level last year by competing in two sprints and two Olympic level triathlons. My goal is to work toward my first Ironman distance triathlon in 2023. Hell yeah. I want to make sure everyone knows this is not fat shaming or body shaming. We were at a point where our weight was preventing us from our health and happiness. Pictures below of before and current and our big damn family at our oldest daughter's wedding, our six kids, two grandkids, and new son-in-law. What a great big family. I love this. And pod pet tax showing our new grand dog, Benny. Ruby is not sure she's ready to give up the baby puppy spot to Benny. These are beautiful pictures. You both look happy. I'm not even saying Uh, you look great. Jack, you guys look happy. Yeah, that's it, right? It's the happy. You gained some beard though, Jack. I think you gained some beard. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, right? Maybe it's the same beard, just a smaller face. There you go. Oh, good God. The dogs are cute, too. My goodness. I know. Is that an Aussie? Just so adorable. Look at the baby. Oh, my goodness. Wow. All of it. I love it. We started with good news. We're ending with good news. It's a fabulous day. Uh, Family photo is wonderful, too. Look at the little babies on the left. I know. With the matching little dress. That's so cute. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. And thanks for sharing that. And thanks for the corrections, y'all. Sacagawea, Susan B. Anthony. All of it. Yeah. For some reason, you know, I think, you know, those are things that we know. We just forgot we knew them. I think it, it also, it's, it's, it's sort of speaks to the point that it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. And so when it happens again, we forgot that it happened 20 years ago or 25 years ago or, you know, even 2003, which is 19, 18 years ago. 19 years ago at this point. So I think that also is part of it is you're like, this has never happened before. 
And they're like, it has. It happened in 1763. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> it needs to happen more often. I remember when the Sacagawea came out. That was a big damn deal. Yeah. I remember that very well. It was gold. It was... Yeah. Um, Wasn't Susan B. Anthony the silver dollar? Or was it a Susan, quarter? I thought it was Susan a B. Anthony, It was a dollar. I think it was a, it was a dollar. Yeah. Susan B. Anthony dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We used to... And my dad would collect those not really rare, but rarer, like $2 bills and Susan B. Anthony's and yeah. Sacagawea's and stuff like that. So very, very happy about this uh, first black woman. Not the first woman, not the first black person, but the first black woman. So and it's Maya Angelou. Who doesn't want to carry Maya Angelou around <sighs> with them in their pocket? Like that's a quarter I'm never giving away if I get a hold of one. I know, I know. Just what a what an amazing woman, amazing life lived, and a truly incredible talent. Absolutely. And I'm looking for more, more like that, more poets. Just bring it on. I love that. Like I love like listening to to poetry like that. Watch Me it. too. Me too. All right, everybody. Uh, let's see what is happening tomorrow. Tomorrow is Thursday. I won't be here. Amy's back. Yep, Amy's back. I know later in the week, we may be talking to the guys from the Midas Touch podcast and podcast network, who we are now a network partnership with. So yay. So now it's like triplets, wonder triplet powers. We've got Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, Midas Touch, MSW Media. We're joining forces. We're all coming together for the greater good. So I'm looking forward to that. And any minute now, I want I want that Mary Trump decision. I want to hear that her lawsuit can go forward. So we'll be absolutely. On. We're going to celebrate one and toast to that for sure when it happens. We'll be on Mary Trump watch definitely. Oh, and let's get an indictment. Oh my God, Ugh, that would be fabulous. Friday, let maybe Friday, Friday uh, indictments. Felony this week? Friday, felony, felony Friday. Friday. Give it to me right into my veins. I know, and I have to say, look, they pushed off Joel Greenberg's sentencing again pushed it back from November to March. They, they had already given it an, uh, a 90 day shove and then they gave it another four month shove, five month shove almost. And that was, they said, this is going to be the last time, meaning that's, they thought for sure that the trial of Matt Gates may be over by the time that Joel Greenberg was to be sentenced. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know what the court schedule looks like in the middle district of Florida, but I would imagine they wouldn't want to sentence uh, Greenberg until they have indicted or perhaps even tried Matt Gates, But as Katie Fang said, our friend Katie Fang said on Deadline White House with uh, today with Nicole Wallace, you've got this final, possibly this final testimony, this last piece of the puzzle that they needed. Yeah. Along with Joel Greenberg sentencing coming in March, that just just the walls are closing in. And I know we've said that a million times this time it might actually be real. So one of the tweets, um, if you don't follow the volatile mermaid on Twitter, you all, you Love really her. should. Absolutely brilliant. She tweeted, Matt Gates' ex-girlfriend testified against him, which is a very impressive and mature for someone who just turned 18 yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Not true, but sometimes it's just funny. No, you gotta you gotta laugh or you'll cry, right? Yeah. But this ex-girlfriend, I think, was a a, of age at the time. She just jumped on the phone. Yeah, and they were in an open relationship. Polly. Oh, Ann Coulter went after Trump. And I mean, DeSantis yeah. today, all kinds of weird shit happened. It was a beautiful thing, though. Yeah. And Trump's going after DeSantis. And I mean, it's it's a this a circular firing squad. The, the, Let them all eat their own. I'm fine with that. They are going to. All right. That is our show. Do you have any final thoughts? I do not. I think I got them all out during the episode, but I love you all. And I'll be back in your ears Monday morning. Yeah. And until then, until tomorrow also with Amy Carrero. And then, of course, we have the book club and MSW on Sunday. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans.
The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.